0: Friends, of course I go by the name of the kid, famous. You and now tuned into the Tim and Friends show. Hello, education, entertainment, coast to coast, ball it up, call it entertainment. Let's get this started. Uncle Tim, let's start this show with five, four, three, two, one. Let's go!
1: Yes, famous. This is Tim and Friends for Tuesday, March 30th, episode number eleven, live on Sportsnet. Sportsnet 360, Sportsnet 590, The Fan Podcast, and available anywhere, anytime on Sportsnet Now. No wonder the ratings don't tell the whole story, kids. We're on almost everywhere. Though I will say this, the ratings have been good lately. So thank you very much, boys and girls. Another jam-packed show after a busy Monday night in sports, uh, NHL, NBA, March Madness, both men's and women's, soccer, tennis. I'm not sure what I'm going to do when the baseball season begins on Thursday. Probably just not sleep. But it does give us plenty to talk about with the roundtable, which will assemble as we do every Tuesday. Scott MacArthur will make his Tim and Friends debut along with a couple of veterans of our little 17-episode old show. CJ and DJ, Wonder Twins, activate Chris Johnson, Donovan Bennett Jr., will join us in the roundtable with Scotty MacArthur. That's coming up. Meanwhile, it's tight at the top of the North Division. For those who thought the Leafs would run away with it, what on. Oilers beat the Leafs 3-2 in overtime last night. Still not sure it's nurse for Norris, but it's getting warmer, kids. Darnell had the game winner. Jack Michaels had the call.
2: The Oilers come back the other way. We're at two all in overtime. McDavid centers, Nurse, for the win. He scores! Darnell Nurse wins the game for Edmonton! 3-2 in overtime!
1: It was Edmonton's first win over Toronto in their last five meetings. I get it. But the Oilers are now just two points back of the buzz. Well, the Jets... Just one point back after dominating the Flames in a 5-1 win last night. The newly formed line, Mark Shifley, Nick Ehlers, Kyle Connor combining for just eight points in the game. Can't call Shifley underrated anymore. Used to be my guy. The underrated marks, Stone and Shifley. Well, Shifley is top five in the league in scoring, feeling good in the peg. Cowtown, not so much. So many questions in Calgary right now. We will dive into that when Ryan Leslie joins me as my second-hour contributor. The Flames and Canucks are both two points back of the Habs for fourth place, but just a second here. Montreal has six games in hand, and guess what, kids? Back in action tonight against the Oilers after a week off due to COVID protocol. We will see what the Habs look like, as our own Eric Engels will join us live from Montreal later in the show to get us set. On the courts, several different ones. Been a rough month for the Raptors on the hard court. They are now 1-12 in March after losing to a Pistons team led by Hamadou Diallo, rookie Sadiq Bey, and Nick Saban Lee. The Raptors are 0-3 versus the Pistons, swept by Dwayne Casey's team this season. Toronto remains 11th in the conference. Two games back of the Bulls for the final play-in spot in the East but it seems like the losing is wearing on Nick Nurse and a team that has seemingly faced every obstacle this season, <clears throat> including the refs. <clears throat> Sorry.
3: I don't know. You just you just can see a half step slow on, on everything we're doing, not quite enough lift on the finishes, not quite enough lift on the jump shots, et cetera. Um and it's hard if we're not if we're not um playing with energy, it's gonna be difficult. And we got we got we were we were trying I don't you know. know, It doesn't doesn't look like it, maybe, but those guys were trying to get moving. They just couldn't quite keep keep caught up with them and and get out to shooters enough and and things like that, and then it just kind
1: of piles up on you. Where do the Raptors go from here? Let's hope it's COVID legs and they can shake them out, maybe make a little bit of a run here. If not, Bradley Beal? Mm -hmm. Bradley Beal? Mm -hmm. Name's been bandied about, kids. We'll talk NBA with ESPN's Brian Windhorst, one of the best insiders in the game later in the show. We'll ask him about Bradley Beal. Sticking with the basketball, the Elite Eight got underway in both the men's and women's NCAA tournaments yesterday. And the game of the night was between Baylor and UConn women's side. Crazy, eh, NCAA? The woman's showing out. Huskies freshman sensation Paige Becker... Becker, excuse me, scored 28 points in a two-point UConn win as the program advanced to their 13th straight Final Four. However, lost a wee bit because the game ended in controversy after a late no-call and pretty obvious foul on Baylor's DeJanae Carrington. And I'm not sure if Baylor coach Kim Mulkey was more upset about the call or having to wear her mask during the Zoom press conference. Kim?
2: What did you see when Dijanae drove the ball from where you were standing? What did you see? I was surprised they didn't call a foul. Then write it like that.
4: You don't need a quote from me. I've got steel shots and video from two angles. One kid hits her in the face and one kid hits her on the elbow.
1: <laughs> I'm going to br- I'm going to... I'd like to bring jesse uh rubinoff into this conversation right now jesse more annoying uh the person who's constantly fidgeting with their mask or the person who just wears the mask under the nose as if they don't know what you're supposed to be protecting
5: <laughs> it's under the nose and it's not even close oh yeah yeah because what are you doing if you wear yeah. wearing it under your nose you're not I, helping anybody
1: yeah the, the under the nose is kind of ignorant but i do i will say the person fidgeting with their mask is really annoying at least me. they're trying
5: to figure it out though
1: you think so? Or are they just like, <laughs> just leave it alone. It's not really that uncomfortable. It's a good
5: look for you. You think so?
1: You know what? My wife just said I never look better. <laughs> Two more games tonight. Texas, South Carolina, Louisville, and Stanford. If South Carolina wins, all four in the final four will have a Canadian. All right, I'm done because I don't want to disrespect what I'm saying here. But wearing, although I don't think I'm disrespecting them. My glasses are all over the place. Trying to wear a mask on national TV, radio doesn't care. Get... All right, speaking of Canadian women, shout out. The Canuck women. Big win for Bianca Andreescu last night in Miami. Arguably her biggest match since returning from injury. Drescu re- rallied from a set down to beat two-time major champion Garbin Muguruza. 3 6, six, three, six two, And had one of the shots of the tournament to set up a crucial break in the third set. She can't even believe it. This is just incredible. You know, when you laugh after the shot, it's a pretty good shot. Bianca threw to the quarterfinals with a very impressive performance. And for anyone who was worried that she was following, I don't know, the career path of Jeannie Bouchard, don't worry, my friends. Do not worry. It was great to see Bianca back and seemingly on the rise, which is the opposite of what is happening with the Buffalo Sabres. First things first. Oh, <laughs> Buffalo.
5: First things first.
1: first. Here's a shot off the post. They score. And the Flyers now trail by two. It's in front of the net. They score! Got yourself a game going now. Now here's a pass ahead. Shovel toward the net. Oh, just missed by Thompson. Back to the point to blast the rebound. They score with 129 left on the clock. Connecting, got it in front of the backhand. They score. And this is a devastating loss right here. Sabres oh, had this game in their hand. <sighs> it might not be fair, but it felt as Buffalo, as Irv Weinstein, Lockport, Gambino, Ford, and Celino and Barnes. A 17-game winless streak, 3-0 in the third period. And quicker than you can say hurt in a car called William Mattar, it disappeared. Like the Buffalo We're Talking Proud campaign.
4: Buffalo's got a spirit, talking proud, talking proud. Listen up
1: and you'll hear it, talking proud, talking proud. Buffalo's got this brown, brown. Not right now. Winless in 18, 18 straight losses. Whatever you want to say or slice or say or slice, it's ugly. I mean, ugly. Even for a city whose most famous sporting moments are failures. Brett Hall skating the crease, the K gun, Jim Kelly, Marv Levy, Bills now known as the four falls of Buffalo. I mean, even amongst that, this one stings. Think of it this way. In 2015, the Sabres tanked for Connor McDavid. I mean, they tanked. They finished with 54 points. They were 14 back of anyone else in the Eastern Conference. They had a minus 113 goal differential, 52 worse than anyone else in the East, or 11 worse than Arizona, who also sucked. This year, they're on an 82-game pace of 41 points. 41! The goal differential if they played all 82 on pace. Minus 123. I mean, what in the good name of Renee Robert are we talking about here? Somebody check on Dwayne from Grand Island. For those who don't remember Dwayne, this was from a year ago. One year ago. On WGR Buffalo Sports Radio.
4: It, it, it's so mind-boggling how we've fallen this far. And I don't need a Jerry Jones type of owner. Like, I need an owner who's going to answer the fans. Like, what is going on? Like, what are we doing? Have they ever sucked a passion out of you like they have me? I've dedicated my life to hockey because of this team. Like... I can't do it anymore, man. I don't need a damn camera in front of Terry Pagula every single day. But address our concerns. Be there when, when, when you screw up. Answer for the mistakes. Be accountable. It's just been mediocrity. It's, it's almost worse than the Bills drought. Like, what the hell is going on? Like, I'm sick of it, Bulldog. I'm sick of it. I'm sorry. I'll hang up and listen. I'm sorry. <laughs> uh,
1: the all hang up and listen at the end is classic. If the sky was falling one year ago, what the hell was happening last night? Or the last 18 games, for that matter. It must feel like 1996 when the sky, or at least the scoreboard, literally fell. I mean, there's no need for Dwayne. His place has been taken by the actual players on the team. Like Brandon Montour, after last night's loss. I think this is the definition of exacerbated.
5: It's embarrassing i know you know this whole stretch is embarrassing but if you especially tonight like that's any team in the nhl i don't care who you are that's that's you know that's a win you got to win a hockey game it's been 18 games like find a way like that's all, that's all i
6: could tell you guys
1: i mean exas paraded intensely irritated and frustrated this once proud franchise that produced everything from the vaunted French Connection, Gilbert Perrault, Rick Martin, Richard Martin, and Rene Robert, to the wonderful Danny Gare in his bucket, from Millar Chuck to Howard Chuck, back to Millar Chuck, over to Howard Chuck, over to Andrew Chuck, Fellino, <laughs> To Fala La Fontaine, and Mayday! Mayday! May... The great Rick Jenneret Watching that third period, whatever the hell that was, transpire. Rick Jenneret and their fans. Oh, their fans. Their passionate fans. These Sabres need to find the intestinal fortitude to overcome whatever the hell ails them. And do it for some of the most passionate fans in all of sports. Don't ask me. Just ask our friend Mark Miller. Buffalo all the way this time. What makes this worse for great fans like Mark Miller, who call the Sabres their own, is the great Buffalo Toronto rivalry that has oftentimes simply grown in the ineptitude of both franchises. That even when they sucked. Either team, there was still a game that meant something when the Leafs and the Sabres tangled. And now not only do they not have that game, but in all this misery, they have to look across Lake Ontario and see, what? A first-place Maple Leafs squad? Which makes many of them even more sick to their stomach if that was even possible at this time in Buffalo. But listen, fans... Especially Leaf fans. Before you go dunking on the Sabres too much, Toronto, don't forget they've still won four playoff series since the last time the Leafs won one. Four! Buffalo! Four! Where have I heard that before? We're four, Buffalo. It's 11 o'clock. Now, from Western New York's news leader, this is News for Buffalo Update. With Rich Newberg, Brian Blessing on sports, and Maria Gennaro with the weather.
0: And a good evening to you. <laughs> <laughs> first, please, first. First.
1: Buffalo, we're for digital producer Jesse Rubinoff, jump in here. At least they still got Josh Allen, right? Like, can we just give him Josh Allen? And the upstart Buffalo Bills.
5: Well, that's what makes it so strange for Buffalo fans.
1: Just when you think the city's sort of turning it
5: around with their sports. <laughs> the Bills go on a run. Right. Like you said, they have Josh Allen. They're the dark horse that signs Taylor Hall. It's like when that happened, everyone was like, oh, maybe maybe the Sabres can do something. Maybe they're turning it around. Maybe they're turning it around. Why would Taylor Hall pick the Sabres? Right. And then this happens. And it's just tough. It proves you can't have too many good things in life. At the same time.
1: By the way, uh, let me just shout out the NLL Buffalo Bandits four-time champions in the NLL. So if I left out the Buffalo Bandits, I do apologize. We Uh, need to make these folks feel a little bit better here. (laughs) So why don't we do a match game? I think that's the
5: perfect opportunity. A match game? Yeah. You're going to make them feel better with a match game? Well, maybe. We'll see. We'll let the viewers
1: decide. What's the match game?
5: The match game is the only thing worse than being a
1: Sabres fan is... Blank. Hold on. How is this supposed to make them feel better? I guess we'll have to wait and see. You mean right now? Because, listen, if you're a fan of a team, I respect you for sticking through the slop. Like, if you're a Sabres fan, (laughs) then sticking through the slop is respectful. Oh, listen, there's a lot of Leaf fans around here. Let's not go throwing stones. (laughs) They haven't had anything since 1967. I've seen people walk around this building talking about great moments being a wraparound goal in a first-round matchup, right? Like, let's be honest here. It was a great moment. Doug Gilmore, I understand it. But whatever. Nice goal. Nice goal.
5: But, yeah, if that's what you're getting excited about in 20, 30 years of hockey, that's not So let me
1: just offset. Right now, the only thing worse than being a Sabres fan is blank.
5: Okay. Should we do it? Yeah. Let's go to it. Match game. The only thing worse than being a Sabres fan is... Mike says, being a Buffalo Sabres player,
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh, you got to lace it yeah.
5: up. you got to lace it up every night knowing that you're probably going to catch an
1: L. Right. It's not a good feeling. You, you are getting compensated pretty well, but I get the point.
5: That's true. Yeah. But if you're a professional athlete, you want to win. Uh, William says, that's pretty much sums it up. He's got nothing. William, I got nothing.
1: Right. The only thing worse than being a Sabres fan is, I got nothing.
5: The only thing worse to be a Sabres fan is being the Cayman Islands keeper last night. <laughs> that's
1: pretty and in good. case
5: you're wondering, the Canadian men's soccer team beat the Cayman Islands 11 to nothing. So that's pretty good. Not quite as bad as uh, 18 losses in a row, but I digress. Uh, 11 to nothing basis. as a keeper is tough.
1: <laughs> what would you rather have, 18 straight losses or have 11 goals scored on you in a game against a team that's not really that good?
5: Well, we're going to find out when Cayman Islands plays is next and maybe they get a W. And then at that point... Who would you rather be? Uh, I don't know.
1: They only lost three nothing to Suriname. <laughs> By the way, Canada's on their way. I didn't mean to say they're not good. I'm just saying they shouldn't be beating anyone eleven nothing. Yeah. Yeah. Ugly.
5: Uh, Vinny says Faisal's attempt at a perfect shot wasn't yeah, quite no. as good as uh, yours was.
1: No, Faisal tried, but it's uh, these are big shoes. I understand. <laughs> just
5: just a bit shoes. outside. Just a bit outside. Not for even Fasel. close. Yeah. Uh, Roland says, the only thing worse than being a Sabres fan is, and you alluded to this, Tim, being a Toronto Maple Leafs parade <laughs> planner. That's pretty good. <laughs> Long time in between work for a parade
1: planner. <laughs> Actually, that's a great job. You don't got to do anything. Wow. You did it once. Yeah. And you still didn't do a great job. <laughs> you got any more of those match games? I know we're running out of time, but I got I like one
5: it. more for you. Let me just load it up. Yep. Yeah. There we go. Uh, Cicero says... The Buffalo Sabres segment currently on Tim and Friends nah.
1: is outstanding. Nah. I know
5: you ripped him last time for nah, uh, the way he... I know he... why
1: he's doing this. <laughs> Here we go. I know Let's why he's it. doing this. Let's I've seen it. all the tricks. Yeah. 17 years with this guy, and you fell for it. It's Sid Sixero's birthday. And he knew by <laughs> tweeting into this show and complimenting me, you would fall for this. And then I would have to say, hey, Sid, happy birthday. Heard you were trending all over Canada on breakfast television with the trick that I taught you. <laughs> but happy birthday. <laughs> happy birthday, Sid. Happy birthday, From Sid. Sabby. Jesse gives you a happy – Dagan's in studio coughing behind the camera. <laughs> don't get too close, please, Dagan. First time in studio. Uh, Dagan. There he is. Yeah, waving. Don't, I further, said don't yeah. get too close. <laughs> all right. We got to take a break. Uh, we got a round table assembled. Ryan Leslie talked flames and their struggles all thing – I can't believe you fell for that, Jesse. Plus Eric Engels in Montreal as the Habs return to game action tonight. And after the break, it's Tuesday, so the roundtable is assembled Chris Johnson, Donovan Bennett, Scott MacArthur. As we discuss the Jays, the Olympics, plenty more options today on Tim and Happy Birthday, Sid. I'm just kidding.
2: We're two all in overtime. McDavid centers Nurse for the win. He scores. Darnell Nurse wins the game for Edmonton. Three,
1: two, in overtime. He got it in front of the backhand. Score! This is the devastating loss right here. Oh. Sabres had this game in their hand.
5: It's embarrassing. I know, you know, this whole stretch is embarrassing, but any team in the NHL, I don't care who you are, that's, that's, you know, that's a win.
1: Oh, my word! <laughs> she can't even believe it. This is just incredible.
3: It's just, like, everybody's screaming out to you, Tim
4: and friends! <laughs> right. Rah!
1: fill in watch out welcome back to Tim McAuliffe and friends of the show I'm Tim McAuliffe you are friends of the show and every Tuesday we enlist three more friends to help fill in my blind spots in the sporting world which admittedly there are a few but one not afraid to admit it. Two, we do things like this to round it all out. So joining me for the Tuesday table of fun, we begin from the SportsNet Five Night of the Fan in Toronto, Scott MacArthur. Hello, Scotty. Timmy, how are you? I'm very good. On to the NHL on SportsNet hockey night in Canada. His name is Chris Johnston. Watagwan, Christopher.
3: Sorry I came underdressed. I didn't know jackets were required in this establishment.
1: <laughs> and from everything sports, that stage two screen, my old friend and yours, welcome back, Donovan Jr. How are you, sir?
0: I'm great. Thank you for having me. Chris, you look great. Uh, MacArthur, can we talk about your hair? Like, can you give Melrose, and I mean Barry Melrose, not Melrose Place, <laughs> uh, his hair back? What, what, what is going on? Dude,
2: I, I just want to let you know, that I am proudly 13 months into life without a haircut, and I can't tell you when I'm going to get my next one.
1: Right. I'm just thinking about how jealous I am, no matter what it is going on with your lid, that it is so full and so precious. So shut up, DJ. All right, gentlemen, we begin the festivities on the diamond. And I, stop, I start with the uh, luxurious hair of Scotty Mack, who has spent some time covering this J squad. Scotty, are you buying or selling the off-season hype of the Toronto Blue Jays, now that we're two days away from the real stuff?
2: Well, I'm definitely buying it. And the reason is, is that this is a good young baseball team. But I think I can say that I'm buying it without being convinced that they're a playoff team in 2021 as things stand. I think if we're sitting here less than 48 hours to opening day and we're not 100% sure who two of their three starters are going to be on the opening weekend. It's reflective of the fact that they've got question marks. I think that some of the answers to those questions could be acquired in season. If these players get off to a good start and convince this front office that this is a now year as opposed to 2022, 2023. But the hype train is out of the station. And Mark Shapiro and Ross Atkins have built something here that is going to be good and hopefully sustainably good for a long time.
1: Yeah, and we saw that uh, last year when they went to the deadline and ended up picking up two pitchers to help it because it was a now year. I like the idea of the now year. When will this be a now year? CJ, you don't cover the team, but you spent plenty of time drinking while watching this team. Uh, Is there unadulterated excitement, tempered expectations? Where are you on this 2021 version of the jays
3: oh i'm in the, the front of the the train there the hype train i'm it's unadulterated excitement um you know look scott raises some good points but i think you know what stands out to me and i'm really looking at this more through a fan's eyes than anything is that it was shapiro and atkins that were, were leading the charge i mean the way they talked about their offseason how aggressive they wanted to be i think that they're going to be compelled to add to this lineup as they go along and and so if that's pitching or uh, something else that crops up along the way. I do think it's a now year. Uh, let's just hope they don't fall on their face early as long as they're in it. I, I think that this is going to be a season that is about uh, wins and let's hope they get back to Toronto at some point and then go to a game.
1: All right, Donovan, he brought up Shapiro and Atkins. Uh, there is pressure on this management group always. Do they have to make the playoffs or hear the wrath again from this fan base?
0: Well, they're going to hear the wrath regardless. Like, right. where have you been? They, they made the playoffs when they weren't Expected to last year, and they still heard. Said well, that. it was an
1: expanded uh, playoffs, Donovan. It was expanded play. Everyone got in last year.
0: It, it, it was also a shortened season where they had no <laughs> expectations, and they were playing in a different country. And they made said playoffs. And here's the thing: I think the expectations are are fine, but they should be tempered because just look around Major League Baseball. Like he, without sin, cast the first stone. I'm not sure if that analogy is correct. The point is. All rosters at this time are somewhat flawed. There is no perfect roster. So given health, which is a question for everybody, yeah, I think just being interesting in July if they are going to come back to Toronto after the third homestand, I think that alone would be a win.
1: uh, Scotty Mack, I was just looking at the Dodgers rotation and David Price isn't going to make it and Tony Gonsolin is. Are you buying what Donovan is selling about the rest of Major League? Maybe outside of San Diego, Atlanta la uh a lot of the east in the national league like are you buying what he's selling that there are a lot of teams that don't have the rest of what baseball has
2: well i I, yes i do i mean and by the way if you're a baseball nerd you're going to be staying up way past your bedtime a lot this year to watch those dodgers and padres games i think though and we're going to see this play out you know tampa bay has invented or brought back so many things that have changed the game in the last decade and a half, whether it was bringing Lou Boudreau's shift back into play 15 or so years ago with Joe Madden, essentially creating the opener five or six years ago. And now that's a big thing. Like I'd peg the over under at about 11 and a half for guys who throw the first baseball of a yeah. game yeah. for the blue Jays and a lot of other teams this year. So we're going to see the wheel reinvented. Don't envision starting pitchers each and every day as being six plus inning guys. Yunjin Ryu is going to have to be hopefully Robbie Ray or Steven Matz. And I underline the word hopefully can be that, but you're going to see openers. You're going to see what I've come to term as chunk guys, maybe three (laughs) innings out of your so-called starter, three innings out of your middle guy before you get to your fireballers late. Like it, it, the game is going to look a lot different this year because of last year. You have to get through 162 games and maintain the health of your arms.
1: Yeah, you, you keep hearing the term stretching guys out. Like the entire Major League Baseball is going to be stretched out as compared to last year. And you're right on that. It's, it, the way people cover those patches is going to be really interesting to watch this year. Uh, CJ, who are you most excited about on this Jays roster?
3: Ooh, it's got to be Springer, you know, and and I don't know if he's starting in the first game or not because uh, he's been injured here at the end of spring training. But you know, probably him or or Vladdy. You know, I, I think this this feels like the year that uh, Vladdy Guerrero is going to have his breakout. Uh, I would think, and you know, it's not just about weight loss for me. I just think that you know he's at that that stage where he's got a couple seasons under his belt. Uh, he's played uh, you know almost two hundred games in the major leagues, and and you know he had a big spring, and so. You know, I, I could see him finally kind of realizing the hype that, that accompanied his arrival in the league. And then, you know, anytime you, you sign a big free agent, that's, that's someone I'm looking to see as well in Springer.
1: Uh, we've assembled the round table here. Scott McArthur, CJ and DJ, Chris Johnston and Donovan Bennett. Uh, it's Donovan Jr. That's why he's DJ, although his mom might be mad at me right now. Uh, who are you most excited about seeing Donovan? It
0: uh, has to be vladdy no like i want like write and vote for kirk because i just love watching the dude who does yeah. but it has to be vladdy because he he's going to rake no like the, the weight loss is is great he, he's on the sid Sixero uh, svelte you know <laughs> post-pandemic diet plan which i love but also we're not talking about what position he's gonna be playing and and him scooping things like just concentrate on being a bat in the middle of that lineup a lineup that gives him more protection and even defensively he, he's got you know a captain of the defense right beside him um, that's going to help him as well so I, I think if not now then when are we going to see the huge breakout from vladdy
1: yeah i think a lot of people are waiting for that one all right last one from all three uh, predictions where do they end up in the east i will start with you scotty
2: Well, we can only go off of what we know based on the roster right now. I think that this team will be playing consequential baseball up to the trade deadline and may force this management's hand. If the team is improved significantly, particularly on the mound at the trade deadline, I'll move up on this. But right now, I say that they're an 85 win team and at best, they are the second wild card. Otherwise, they miss
1: CJ. No
3: chance. This is a playoff team, boys. Uh, I think it's a wild card. I'd love to – I mean, in my heart of hearts, I want to say they're going to win the AL East. I don't really believe that, but I I think they're going to get a wild card spot. Something like 88 to 90 wins works for me. And, uh, you know, we're going to be watching uh, baseball in October in Toronto.
1: The baseball fan is shining through in our Hockey Insider, CJ. Donovan?
0: Yeah, no longer we'll be sitting through 162 saying – Why did we watch all those games for the team to finish 81-81? and I think 90 games is in play. I think both wild cards are in play. The ceiling is the roof. I I, I definitely think they're going to make the playoffs. All right, I'm going
1: to move on to hockey quickly. And I got all of my best Buffalo references out in the opening segment of this show. Not sure if you saw it. Uh, It was scrumptualescent if you do adore the city of Buffalo. If you adore the city of Buffalo, though, you feel bad for them right now. They have lost 18 straight, winless in 18 straight. However you phrase it, it's ugly and it ties a National Hockey League record. Um, I'll start with you, CJ. Who do you blame in Buffalo?
3: It's got to be the owners. I mean, when when you've been this bad for this long with multiple GMs, multiple head coaches, a roster that's been turned over a couple times, uh, you've had high draft picks. You know, I, I think that, that there's something fundamentally wrong with this organization. It's the only explanation. I mean, the the way the NHL's draft lottery system works is you're not supposed to stay this bad for this long. It's just a product of how it is. If you pick near the top of the draft, you you become a team like the Edmonton Oilers or the Toronto Maple Leafs, which, yes, maybe not at the absolute cup contenders at this point, but they went to the bottom and then they rose up the ranks. Uh, you know, Buffalo has is, is just been flawed for a decade under the Pagoulas, I think that they're the ones who have to answer to this. What's troubling right now, I would say, beyond the obvious, the 18 games without a win, is that they've cut money significantly. They have a bare-bones operation in terms of scouting, in terms of front office. And so the path out of this isn't going to be easy unless they get some lottery luck and, and things start going their way.
1: Donovan, what do you think of what's going on in Buffalo?
0: CJ's right man it, it falls at the feet of uh, Terry and Kim Pagula like, I think what we're learning Is how difficult it is to win and set up shop For sustained success in the National Hockey League Just look at the other team they own in the city The Bills You get one position right in that sport You have a, you have a shot, you have a chance This, they, like Jack Eichel We can debate on whether or not he's worth the money Or whether they got that right But he's certainly a great player And they still are not close to being successful So yeah, I think it's the ownership, no question Scotty
2: like, I, I just I always find the ownership conversation amazing. There are two teams in the state of New York, or four teams, actually. Who owns the Sabres? The Pagoulas. Who owns the Bills? The Pagoulas. Who owns the New York Knicks? James Dolan. Who owns the New York Rangers? James Dolan. But you equate the Knicks with Dolan, but not so much with the Rangers. Like, he's just omnipresent over that franchise. The Pagoulas are getting love for the Bills, hate for the Sabres, and it has to be them at this point. Because who else, when you look around, has been there long enough to blame? The current general manager, Kevin Adams, former Leaf, didn't even sign Jeff Skinner to that terrible contract. And we all knew it was awful at the time it was signed. He was coming off one really good contract year. And I think the question, as I'll just digress and divert a little bit, for teams who might acquire Sabers players here leading up to the april 12th trade deadline Mm -hmm. is how do you properly assess who and what they are at this point playing for that organization
1: without a doubt um it's so bad right now in buffalo that we introduced match game earlier in the show that says the only thing worse than being a sabers fan is blank it's trending top 10 in canada right now behind happy birthday sid sixero i don't know if that's still trending but it was trending this morning jesse rubinoff try and make our three roundtable guests laugh with three answers to the match game. Oof. Shut the on. The pressure.
5: The pressure. Okay.
1: I'll give you some time if you'd like in order to find your three best at this moment. Okay. Your time has elapsed.
5: Okay. I got it. I got it. Okay. So let's start with uh, give what us the, the three. actual match Hold game on. is.
1: We need. Yeah. Give it the match yeah. game. And then we're going to get the three guys and we're going to see if you can make them laugh. Okay. Perfect.
5: Oof. The pressure. All right, match game. The only thing worse than being a Sabres fan is blank. Let's start with Jacques, who says having Carter Hart as your number
1: one goalie. Oof. Ooh, that, did, that just hurts. I don't no know laugh. If that yeah, no laugh. Okay, why
5: don't we move on then? Okay. Let's try from Darcy. Uh, the only thing worse than being a Sabres fan is <laughs> being the captain of the Ever Given. Which has now been freed from the Suez Canal. So, I don't know if they're still uh, feeling bad about being the captain of the ship because they're free now. But they yeah. were for having a rough go there. For
1: the, uh, the gift that goes along with it makes it.
5: And uh, Melissa, the only thing worse than being a Sabres fan is Prince William being named the sexiest bald man alive. That's just offensive. Because... Tell him again. We got Timmy in here. Prince William being named the sexiest bald man alive you seem to better be like. Better
0: put some respect on. Better put some respect on Alvin Williams' name right now.
1: Yeah, <laughs> Alvin <laughs> Williams is up there. I will tell you that right now. All right, time for a break. Uh, got a couple chuckles out of that, but we might have to do more when we come <laughs> back. Are we going to have an Olympics this year? We'll discuss it with the roundtable next here on Tim and Friends. We've gathered. Thank you, gentlemen. Appreciate it. Hang on. Break time. Welcome back, Tim and Friends. Wonder Twin Powers activate in the form of a roundtable without being able to have a roundtable because of COVID protocols. But scattered across the city of Toronto and assembled neatly across the screen, Donovan Bennett, Chris Johnson, and Scott MacArthur. Uh, let's continue where we left off, and that is with the Olympics. Uh, Donovan, are we going to have an Olympics this year?
0: Oh, I mean, we had a March... Madness NCAA tournament so I kind of feel like there is so much money at stake that even without fans in stands NBC's got to broadcast something this summer they paid a lot of money so I think so I think they're gonna be scaled back and they'll be super weird but I think eventually yeah they're gonna happen even though they probably shouldn't
1: CJ are you in on uh the Olympics happening this summer and will you consume it any different
6: Oh,
3: good question. But the second one, I I do think they're going to happen. I'm with Donovan. I mean, how do you not have them at this point? Every other sport has found a way to be played in in a compromise or different way. You know, it's going to be different. I think from a viewing experience, I'm way over sports without fans. I understand why it has to happen. It's not a public health shot, but it's just, you know, having gone to a lot of the, the NHL games without fans in the building, it just kind of eats at your soul a little bit. If you love what sports are all about. And to me, the Olympics is, Part of the spectacle is just the the excitement around them, and that will be different. But uh, I'll watch it because it's the Olympics, and I think that they'll be on in July and August because everyone else has found a way to do it, and there's a lot of financial reasons to to get it done.
1: Is there there some sort of juxtaposition here that we're all put in, Scotty, where you want to see athletes who have been building to this moment now for five years of their life and what we know is probably not the right thing to do?
2: I suppose so, but I mean, we can't sit here and pretend that anything that has gone on in the sports world over the last almost thirteen months Fair now part. has been in the best interests of human health right. And so this is a this is a money game. This for some of these athletes is a once in a lifetime opportunity. Uh, they do deserve the opportunity to be on the world stage they put their lives their their souls into this Uh, but we got to be real about it it is about the dollars and the dollars speak we've seen it across all of the north american and european professional sports leagues Uh, let's just hope that there is no massive outbreak within whatever the olympic village is because we know that COVID can spread Really, really quickly, and I think there'd be no greater embarrassment on top of a health concern of this virus getting in to the athletes' community in the yeah. middle of these games.
1: I mean, by the time they actually take place, it'll be interesting to see how many of the athletes are actually vaccinated before they head to That's Tokyo. Cool. But uh, I felt like at the start of that. i have heard from Canada. Yeah. yeah Everywhere a else, though. A couple more months. Don't worry. Um, I felt like I was going to give you the Tony Reale extra points there at the top there, uh, Scotty Mack. Uh, Let's talk about the NFL because you brought up money at the end there. And a story that is breaking today, uh, Roger Goodell, 17 regular season games has been approved. It feels like a nice pandemic push. But is this good or bad for the NFL, Donovan? It feels like we know what it is. It's cream. It's Wu-Tang Clan. It's cash rules, everything around me. But is it good or bad for the NFL?
0: Uh, I mean, it's good for their bottom line. Part of the reason why they basically doubled their TV contract is not because the game is is twice as interesting. In fact, on Sun Sundays, the the game is not interesting at all. It's because it is appointment TV, something that we barely have anymore, because it's something that people, I don't know, watch, because of betting, because of fantasy. Remember those things? They're going to make a lot of money as those things become regulated. And... Everyone went crazy about, oh, the ratings are down, the sport is too oversaturated. Yeah, guess what? The money is up. It doesn't matter. Amazon, all of the the major networks said, yeah, we're in on this inventory because this is the best way to have people sell products to Americans and and often Canadians. So another date just to basically sell us more products for four, eight, 12 hours uh, on a Sunday? Yeah, of of course. If it doesn't make dollars, it doesn't make sense, and this makes too much money.
1: All right, CJ, are we going to see this in any other sports? Like, it feels like if you were were thinking the, the, the record book in the NFL will be altered by this 17th game, and the NFL was looking at what Donovan was saying and said, we'll take that money, rule book be damned. Do you see anything in the sports that you cover that could change just like this because of this, I'll call it pandemic push?
3: Well, the easy answer, and it's one for whatever reason the NHL has been resistant to, is expanding the playoffs themselves. You know, I don't think it's about having more regular season games. In fact, I think you can make an argument, cut back the regular season in order to carve out more playoffs. And, and the reason I think it makes sense, they did it, uh, you know, under strange circumstances last year in the summer bubble uh, where they had more teams and, and basically a play-in type around for those at the bottom of the conferences that got in. I think that what we've seen in baseball with with beefing up the wild card games, and the excitement that that's created. I mean, I think it's inevitable the NHL will do this at some point, uh, but Gary Bettman, as long as he's a commissioner, doesn't seem at all inclined to do so. But, you know, I think that that's the easy answer, and I do think that there's a way to get money there because you're selling a different TV contract and you're, you're likely to draw huge audiences for those games if they're play-ins or best-of-threes, whatever you have uh, at the start of the playoffs.
1: Yeah, like a play-in tournament. Scotty Mack, about a minute here. Do you see a pandemic push in any of the sports you love?
2: Well, I think baseball will collectively bargain an expansion of the number of teams in the playoffs. And like, we've only got 30 seconds here, Timmy. So I'm not going to get into all the other impending issues with the upcoming labor (laughs) negotiation (laughs) of baseball. But I do think one of the things that will come from that is that you will see more than five teams in each league make the playoffs, whenever it is baseball begins in 2022 and beyond.
1: Uh, Boys, this was fun. It flew by. I'm not even wearing a watch, but it flew by. Uh Donovan Bennett, Chris Johnson, Scott MacArthur, appreciate your time. Thank you for assembling for the round table. Thanks, Timmy. There are uh my guys joining me here on the round table. That's right, kids. Uh the round table is here, and I think that every answer had to do with money. (laughs) I think that's where we're at in 2021. People trying to recruit. Major money Uh, I don't know if we're making money off of the match game right now But it is trending Top 5 in Canada So is Tim and Friends We thank you for that We'll have plenty more on the way Also, some hockey Ryan Leslie joins me for hour number 2 Not only will we ask What in the good name of Jim Poplinski is wrong with the Flames We'll try and get some answers From the very sexy Ryan Leslie I may be biased But Eric Angles Joins us We'll talk about the Habs finally getting set to play some hockey. They get the Oilers tonight, hour two of Tim and Friends after we pay the bills. Senator O'Connor, ladies and gentlemen, your second favorite Timmy, give it up for Tim McCallum. Still need to ask Mark Strong who the first favorite Timmy is. So many answers. Mine is uh, touchdown Timmy Biakabatuka, a former Michigan running back. Thank you, Sheepdogs. Thank you, Mark Strong. Coming up, hour number two, we will dive into some NBA talk. Brian Winhorse will join me. Plus, Ryan Leslie for the hour will talk about the Calgary Flames, their issues, where they go next in Calgary, plus rehash the Leafs and Oilers from last night. And speaking of those Oilers, they are right back at it in Montreal tonight. That's right. The Habs are playing hockey, kids. Their first game in 10 days after their COVID shutdown. They now start a stretch 25 games in 42 days to end the regular season. Joel Armia is still on the COVID list, while Tyler Toffoli is still recovering from a lower body injury. Michael Froelich will make his Habs debut, playing in his first NHL game in over a year. Speaking of rust, we'll have plenty more coming up with Eric Engels from Montreal. In moments, just two days away from opening day in Major League Baseball, Shia Davidi reporting today that George Springer is progressing well from his oblique strain, but remains unlikely for opening day, saying the Jays will make a last-minute this last, dis- dis- last minute decision on an IL stint. Got it, good and since you understood. I hope I got it, too. Meanwhile, the Jays announced that they will extend their Dunedin homestay through their third homestand and the end of of May, which I think we all expected. Also shifting home start games and times back to 7pm Eastern on weeknights and 3pm 7pm on Saturdays. Uh, NHL made it, the NFL made it official. They will play a 17 game regular season beginning next year. It's the first expansion of the NFL schedule in 43 years. The preseason schedule will drop from four games to three to accommodate. NFL Players Union was opposed to the 17-game schedule but agreed in exchange for a greater share of league revenues and other player benefits. All right, uh, making a rousing debut on Tim and Friends was Ryan Leslie with his spot-on Ron McLean, and we welcome him back to the show for a full hour this time around. Welcome back, Ooh. Leslie. You good? An hour seems
7: like a bit of a stretch. But <laughs> I I, uh, I was hoping for ten minutes, but it's your show. Let's <laughs> let's go with it. All
1: right. Well, that's a way to sell it to the fans. Um, yeah. <laughs> let me ask you this: Has McLean Senior. McLean?
7: He has. Uh, he did reference it uh, on the next hockey night in Canada we did. So that was great. He was a good sport about it. I was a little worried, Tim. I won't lie. I, was, <laughs> I may have bitten off a little more than I can chew here, going after the top dog like that. But no, he's great. And uh, I think I may have done it in front of him in the past. So he was a good sport about it. And uh, thanks for having me on and letting us have some fun that day. That
1: was a hoot. Uh, we'll have some fun today as well. By the way, um, for those who are, are, are listening on radio... There is a picture of a black and white basketball team behind the head of Ryan. The very lovely head, I might add, of Ryan Leslie Mm. over the left shoulder. What the hell is that over your uh, left shoulder there?
7: That is a picture of Coach Normandale and the Hickory uh, Huskers (laughs) from the movie Hoosiers. Uh, That's one of my I brought it on just for you. I replaced a a, a photo that was back there, but I thought this is just fitting. You got some basketball talk today. uh, The madness is upon us. It's the greatest sports film ever made. I know that people are going to freak about that, but for my money, that's it. I got that uh, down in uh, in Los Angeles, and uh, I just love the thing. It was a little—I may have gone a little overboard, but uh, that was a treat to myself. So that's uh, that's the scene. That's the photo from the last scene, you know, and the photo that hangs in the gym after they win it all. We, and, can, and remember that moment when he says, "I love you guys."
1: I do, it's Steve. I'm, we're already trending in Canada. If we brought up the conversation of the greatest sports movie of all time, we might start another fight. Jesse, I'll let you, yeah. if you want to, if you want to throw it out there, greatest sports movie of all time.
5: That's a juicy I one. don't want to tick I, anybody that off. That is juicy. But No, no. Hey, hey,
1: you stated an opinion. You're allowed to your opinion, all right? Yeah. We're, this, isn't, this isn't Twitter yet. Uh, you're you're allowed to state your opinion without anyone screaming at you. I don't know if I agree or disagree. Like, I'm trying to think off the top of my head. I mean, like, I just love Slapshot, but it's not it's not like, it's not the same dramatic, cinematic piece that that Hoosiers was.
7: Right. I mean, I get it. Everybody's got their own film. There's the Rocky crowd. There's the Rudy crowd. I love Rudy. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I, I still get emotional when Rudy's on. I won't lie about that but uh for me hoosiers kind of has it all um Slash plus it was shots, something right. growing up all right <laughs> <laughs> let me Ken guess Reed. that's that's kenry and we <laughs> yeah, yeah, got Mo- <laughs> motley cruz still awesome and uh, bucks indeed for the bad joke up. we got it next thing we know i'll spend half an hour open a pack of cards that's worth 10 bucks we'll call it a rating spike uncle
1: uncle We got it, Kenny. Lovely. I'll leave it at that. All right, I want to get to what ails the flames. Nope, Uh, he's got a shirt on. It says pucks in deep. He's walked in studio
7: i sh- got a bag of milk
1: for a body. Yeah. Look at that. <laughs> that, is a, that is a bag of milk. He <laughs> says he's sucking it in, too, but whatever. A- appreciate the Body by neglect, Ken Reed's
7: autobiography. Ladies, he's married. Oh.
1: Ladies, he's married. Oh. Ladies, he's married. <laughs> All right. Um, I feel like the Calgary Flames, and I, if you say anything more about Ken Reed, he's going to walk back in, so I'm going to move on. But I feel like whatever ails the calgary flames is intertwined at least in the standings with whatever happens in montreal so let's get the latest from la belle Provence with la belle eric angles who joins us now in montreal welcome back to the show angles how are you man
6: i'm doing good i, I thought we were just going to talk about hoosiers which is one <laughs> of my favorites but let's face it it's Rocky 4 is the answer to the question here. Yeah, I think you're I think you're right. I think Rocky,
1: whatever one you think is the best, probably trumps Hoosiers, but we won't walk down the road. Uh, what's the latest on the Habs as they return to action right now?
6: Well, the latest is Jesperi Yemi came off the COVID list. Yoel Armia remains on it and should miss the next three games. Carey Price is going to be in Nets playing against Miko Koskinen. And uh, we're going to see if Shea Weber benefited from some rest because he's going to have to play against connor mcdavid and leon Dreisettle, and that is a formidable duo to face
7: eric i wanted to ask you if i could not to jump in too soon but just the idea of as tim said a moment ago the idea of the habs and the flames tied in together and you know we can look at the schedule right now as it pertains to a lot of teams but it's all about who you're chasing and the habs i believe uh five games in hand and uh that's that's where calgary has to face but uh, how do you see the whole thing shaking down? Standings are one thing, but who you're chasing is maybe the most important. And as we can see now, it's uh, yeah. it's a tight one. Six games, excuse me.
6: Yeah, it's six games. That's exactly right. And, man, I was watching the Flames over this last week just thinking they've blown us a real opportunity with the Canadians' idol. And I, I, I Calgary has totally baffled me this season. I I see depth at every position. I see speed and skill. I see... Great goaltending. I can't figure out what's happened there. And I saw that earlier on when they were here in Montreal, they had a players-only meeting and nothing changed. So, And now it's a coaching change and nothing has changed. And it's been shocking. And, you know, to transition it to this Montreal group, they're 14-8-9. They have not been as good as we expected, That as good as they expected. And, you know, you could say, oh, they're going to play 25 games in 43 nights and it's going to be a grind, and I'm not diminishing that. But it's time for this team to assert itself and show that they're the team that everyone expects they could have been uh, when Mark Bergevin made all these additions. And now Eric Stahl is going to be a part of this, and Cole Caulfield potentially, and Ben Sherrod is on his way back, and Tyler Toffoli not far behind. And it's time for the Canadians to step up.
1: Ryan Leslie, uh, Eric Engels, and Diane Bibo on the organ joining us uh, from Montreal. So you mentioned Cole Caulfield. What's the Cole Caulfield hype like today? Are we are we at high? Are we at medium? And where does he start?
6: Well, I think it's high. He's been assigned to the Laval Rocket. I think the cap has a lot to do with that. Integrating him into the lineup right now would be challenging. However, he's got to spend a quarantine. A lot can change in the next seven days. I think this is a player that is immediately when he gets a chance to play in the NHL, and I have no doubt that it will be at some point this season, he's going to make an impact. This guy is a prolific goal scorer, but it's very easy to look at the numbers and say, wow, he broke the records at the, you know, the national development program in the U.S. of Austin Matthews. and." Patrick Kane and those guys and wow he went to Wisconsin and he scored 30 goals in 31 games which is incredible he's going to run away with the Hobie Baker this kid is much better than just a goal scorer he is game all over the ice he is good without the puck he has improved in every way if you want a a full dissertation on what those improvements have been uh, I had some tweets uh, after Wisconsin was eliminated and Tony Granato who was a former NHLer and the coach of Wisconsin was singing this kid's praises and saying this kid stood up to every challenge that he faced and grew into a leader. And I saw it watching him play. I don't, you know I know at the World Juniors, a lot of people were like, well, you know, he's got five points, seven games. It wasn't just about the points. It was about the way he played away from the puck, and that's going to translate at this level. And at worst, the Canadians can integrate him on a fourth line with Eric Stahl and Corey Perry. Not bad riding shotgun with those guys.
7: Eric what's he like when it comes to the physical side of things I've, I haven't got eyes on him a lot I mean I see him a little bit but is he a type because as I look you know I see Johnny Gaudreau every day and here's an elusive player who's got a lot of skill is what's a comparable and how does he handle the physical side of the next level
6: yeah he, he's 5'7 but he's got up to 170 pounds and all that working out and playing less hockey in college certainly helped in that regard but you know Ryan like I look at looks it's like we some capable of, uh, of avoiding I was Sorry. gonna say it looks like so we lost guys? you
1: but we're, you're still there a little little digital freeze continue on I jumped in way okay. too early I should have a lot <laughs> little patience here no no problem go ahead Mr. no Angles. problem
6: yeah I was just gonna say I think the key to avoiding contact uh, you know massive contact getting blown up is you need to have one of two things or both of them speed and smarts and Cole Caulfield has both those things and I look back at Marty St. Louis' historic career I don't remember seeing him getting crushed too often and meantime Tony Granato brought up a great point about Caulfield which is that four major penalties were called uh, you know players taking infractions on him and three of them were hits to the head basically this year and he bounced back up and scored a couple of goals after those hits so this kid is tough. He welcomes the challenge. He knows he's going to be hunted. It's the sign of a good player, and he's going to stand up to that. And he he believes in himself. He believes he's ready for prime time. He's willing to go put in a few games in Laval before he gets that opportunity. But I, I really believe he's going to be here sooner than later.
1: Uh, last one from us, Angles. Uh, how did the match the Habs match up with the Oilers? Because that's the matchup tonight.
6: Yeah, I, you know, it's going to be a tough one. Edmonton is obviously on a roll. They're feeling confident. I understand they lost in overtime to the Toronto Maple Leafs, but they played them really well in the last couple of games against them, and they have a bit of rest uh, not only before that those matchups with Toronto, but after this one against the Canadians, even if they're playing back-to-back. Uh, first period will dictate a lot, obviously. The Canadians, there could be some rust there, and uh, the Oilers obviously want to take advantage right away uh, as this game will get harder for them as it moves along. So I'm looking at the matchup in Nets, particularly Price-Koskinen. I think Price has to stand up and be great for the Canadians as they find their legs and get back into rhythm. And so long as that happens, I think they have a good chance of winning this game and starting off that role that I said they need to go on.
1: The classic rust versus rest. Eric Engels, thank you very much. Deanne Bibo, thank you very much. Uh, we'll talk to you again soon.
6: My pleasure, guys.
1: Uh, every time we talk to Angles, Leslie, the lovely... I, I We're at the point where we believe that Diane Bebo has the broadcast up in the booth that she is playing the organ on because this is well before game time. Like, what are we at here? Like, it's 15 past six with no fans in the stands, and we're here in organ grinding? Like, what's going on here?
7: They're getting ready. These uh, game operations folks are wonderful. I've done your show... Uh with an early start as well, and and they're cranking it out as though the building's got nineteen twenty thousand 20,000 fans in it. They're, they're not taking any shifts
1: off, that's for sure. <laughs> uh, all right, so Ryan Leslie joining me from Calgary, and I s- promised some Flames talk, but before we get into the ins and outs, and maybe we'll save that for the next segment, the ins and outs of what's going on in Calgary, does it hurt all the more in Calgary that Edmonton seemingly is doing pretty well right now?
7: That will always sting, Tim. That will always uh, leave a mark for any Flames fan, any member of the uh, Calgary Flames organization, certainly uh, management, hockey ops, ownership, you name it. It stinks when you are all Flames all the time. But the problems are in front of Calgary right now, and they are worried about themselves. And that's not even cliche. That's just literally they're looking at their game and going, what now? What does it got? What do we got to do to get on some kind of, Run here. There is no momentum. So when the Oilers are doing it like they did, Nurse, you know, ending it as quick as he did, sure, that's going to sting. But I, I think they have just got to crawl back into the conversation because they're not in it right now. And it's become, it's at the point where it is a talented team. You heard uh, Eric talking about how surprised he is. There is a lot of surprise in this market. And, um, you know, they've got the game. They've just left, uh, they're traveling in transit right now to Vancouver. And now now there's a little uncertainty surrounding uh, Gaudette. So we don't know what the situation is. Uh, you know, if this game's going to go ahead at this point, the uh, time of us doing this, mm. I'm not aware of where that situation sits because of COVID-19 protocol. Right. Gaudette li- would leave practice, and I think he's got uh, some testing still to go. Is it a positive? Is it a false positive? I don't want to get into that, but I know that it's very uncertain. But the team is on the way. Will this get delayed like we saw the Canadians go through all these types of things? I'm not sure. I don't know if the um, NHL
1: can handle that. It would be another, like, I just, everything's tight right now. And you see what Montreal, that's the one thing that I thought about when we looked at the standings, Leslie, was listen, I think that Montreal is in the top four. I think if you played the season out uh, without any hiccups, uh, Montreal would be in your top four but this compressed schedule that they're about to play like 25 games in 42 days is going to test them. I don't care if you have two good goalies in the NHL play. And I don't care if you're playing three in one city, playing that many games in that many days is going to be a test. And I thought there was a real opportunity for the Canucks and the flames to really narrow the gap.
7: I wonder too, if it's going to end up being a brilliant move, Tim, that, uh, Bergevin brought in the veterans that he has. Uh, yeah. Earlier you spoke about the fact that Michael Froelich is going to come in. I'm not suggesting he's going to be uh, uh, all world. Uh, but when you look at Stahl, Froelich, Perry, veteran guys who, you know, uh, yeah, it's going to be a bit of a sprint. They're going to have to shoehorn some games in here. But I wonder where that veteran leadership comes in. And certainly – um, there's a lot of Stanley Cup caliber in there as well. I just really think leadership is going to be so important versus a team that maybe has struggled. They're going to get these little injections into their lineup that may end up being really beneficial with a calming, experienced voice, a lot of games, a lot of cups uh, that, that Montreal has brought in. Uh, Edmondson, we could go, Perry, we could go all around. But uh, there's a lot of guys there that um, bring a, a touch of experience, uh, a winning pedigree. And I wonder if that will be a difference to keeping them in that position because there's a lot of work to do for those teams that are on the outside looking in. It's Montreal's to lose, really.
1: All right, Leslie, that's the first 10 minutes. Uh, We've got about, eh, give or take, 40 more here before we let you go. (laughs) Leslie takes a drink of water. Our match game, though, is trending in Canada. So is Tim and friends. So we think the friends of the show for doing that when we come back we'll dive deep into what's going on in Calgary and there was a feeling that perhaps some jobs could be cost by whatever happened in Calgary this year we'll have that discussion next right here on Tim and Friends as well as Ryan Winhorse, ESPN on the NBA Timothy McAuliffe, Ryan Leslie, and Jesse Rubinoff looming large with a match game that is trending in Canada. We will get to that, but I promised some Calgary Flames talk, and I know those out west, Ryan, hate when you tease some talk about their teams, and then you just talk about the Leafs, and we're not going to do that here. We don't do that on this show. So let me ask you this, because going into the season, it felt like the success of this team this year put a couple of jobs in the future maybe of this group on the line. Does it still feel that way even though it cost a coach his job?
7: Um, I think that there's a real there's a real feeling that, yes, things better turn around quick. Um, what you hear publicly and I think what you hear internally, depending on where you go, are probably the same. But I, I think that there's a sense that this thing better turn around. And I don't know necessarily if it's about – Daryl better get this group into a playoff position. But, you know, this is a group that's had a lot of coaches. This is a group that um, has had a lot of expectations. And this is a group that is underperformed. And um, I think Brad True Living has given this group every opportunity to dig out themselves. He's brought in some help. You want to get tougher? We got tougher. You want to bring in some skill? We got you some skill. You want some free agents? Okay, that didn't work out. Let's try and make a trade there's been all sorts of situations. Guess what we need? We need a goalie. You got a goalie. Uh, right. It's just been one of those things that the players, I think when you talk to them still can't figure out why it is. I, I have had some conversations with some of them um, and it's just been, we don't know if we think it's going to be easier. If we think that, you know, we're because of the 107 point season, a couple years ago that we expect but we have to do something differently because we're not getting it done. So there's there's an understanding. They they certainly know they're underperforming and underachieving. I'm not sure they figured out on the ice how to get it done. I think there was some turbulence early on about maybe getting everybody on the same page. And mm-hmm. I think they hammered through that. And I think now it's like, really? I, I thought we I thought we figured some of our issues out. And now it's right where they are and it's it's not been good. Uh, Daryl will tell you that he's been impressed with certain things that uh, since he's come on board that he's been able to help clean up. Right. but it has not translated into a winning streak. Um, they are below 500 with him behind the bench, but he is a proven coach. My question is, is he the coach that can get this group to respond? You know in Los Angeles, Tim, he had some big bodies. He had some big boys before mm-hmm. they started winning. Yep. Uh, they also had a lot of skill to go along with the size and uh and it seemed to work. His style seemed to work. The offense came down, but those careers he was able to help turn them into champions and I just I'm curious to see how this plays out if the fit is there. Daryl's a good coach. this is a good team and it work together.
1: It's uh, it's interesting that you bring up the big bodies because I still have enough homies in Calgary who say uh, this question has already been bandied about, at least in public. But do you think that the organization is questioning if they can win with Johnny Gaudreau as their best player? I know it's a tough one.
7: Yeah, that's a tough one. I think Johnny Gaudreau is uh, the most skilled player on this team. I, I also don't hang this on him in any way, shape, or form. Has he underperformed? Yeah, he knows that. He's owned that. Uh, he's been called out as well, but um, this is a group thing. This isn't a one player thing. And this is a group that everybody is below their own standard. And I think that's the key word, Tim. I'm not going to yeah. avoid your question, but there isn't a standard right now of excellence that is set. They may all think they have an idea of what it is and what it takes, but I don't know as though it's been clearly defined. The identity is still not there. So when you look at Johnny Gaudreau, um, I don't know how this thing unfolds. He has been nothing but fantastic for this team, this community, and this fan base. Is it time to move on from him? Well, it may just be a simple economics. It may be simple the, the contracts coming up in a year. Um, how do they move him? But the big question is, what's the market like? Right? Does a team like Philly say, well, let's trade for Johnny Gaudreau. It's his hometown. I don't know if they need to trade for him. I don't know if they feel they need to trade for him. I, I don't know where the, you know, given the fact that his contract is going to be up anyhow in a year, or maybe Calgary jumps in and re-signs him. That's certainly a conversation that's being had. There are all kinds of situations and scenarios that are playing out. But, Tim, the market will dictate it either way, him staying, him going. I don't blame any of this on one player, certainly not Johnny Gaudreau, who's been really solid, but will also tell you that uh, he has to be better. But you can look in that room, and there's a lot of players who you have to, who you could say, have to do the same yeah. thing. Uh, this is a team. This is a team thing. Uh, I often this, talk- is a, this is a culture thing. too. Yeah. this is a culture thing. I often this talk- has been going on a long time.
1: I, I talk about the uh, how fine the line is, and you just go back to that 2019 series against Colorado. Win four nothing game one. That game two goes to OT, and you wonder how much of this is different if they get the winner in that game too and where the confidence level is if they get the winner in that game too. But it didn't go that way, and here we well, are.
7: you know, they were 11 seconds from going up 3-1 on Dallas in the bubble. Yeah. I mean, that, that's the other one. The Colorado yeah. certainly is one that I think people pointed to first, but most recently they had a chance to do some damage to the Dallas Stars, and they were playing at a level that that's where I thought was maybe a Daryl Sutter team. So I think that's where a lot of people started to think, Oh, they can play this way. There was some smash mouth hockey. There was some success. They put a beating on Dallas physically, and it was like the stars just said, bring it on. We can take it. And they just quietly went about their business. And Calgary, unfortunately, uh, you know, they had a couple injuries, as a lot of teams do in the postseason, and they just couldn't recover from uh, some heartbreak, a couple of bad penalties, and some pucks that did not go their way. No excuses. They didn't get the job done. They know it, and they feel it still today.
1: All right, we're, we're running out of time here, but we got Brian Windhorst coming up next. Um, do you miss covering basketball?
7: You know, I, I love everything to do with basketball. The tournament, uh, I love the madness. Uh, the NBA, uh, I love it all. Uh, it was a sport that uh, is still near and dear to my heart. So anything oh, to hold do on. with the
1: hoops. Hold on here. I have some sources that suggest that you were quite the baller in high school. Is that true? <laughs>
7: I mean I used to play a little. Yeah. No, it was my passion. It it was it was what I was all about. That was you know given the height and all.
1: Those sources, yeah. What are you like? 5'9"? Yeah, all that height. 5'10"? Five 5'11"? Five with hair. 5' Yeah, with the afro. <laughs> um those sources may have actually provided me with some pictures of you playing basketball. Yeah. Now, I don't yeah, know if Paul, we have Oh doctor yeah. <laughs> full head yeah. of hair, the mean mugging Ryan Leslie. Look at this. oh yep. What is this? This this is looks like you playing uh defense <laughs> on someone who is much bigger than you in the post. But
7: and look, and look at this. Offs a of bronze medalist.
1: Oh, nice. <laughs> West we Hill. Look at that.
7: Crew cut. West look. Hill Raiders right, and the Port Dover Lakers.
1: We gotta take the break. Uh Leslie's going to stick around. We'll talk some basketball hockey central on one side, Brian Wynhorst on the other. Seven friends includes Ryan Leslie, who apparently just like Jim Jones is balling West Hill. That's Owen sound, not Scarborough, right?
7: That is correct. But uh, we were fortunate enough to play a lot of those Toronto teams and
1: Man, those were the glory days. They'll pass you by. I saw an an Offsa thing in the background in one of those pictures, eh? Like, that's the Ontario Finals.
7: I mean, I don't want to toot my own horn, Tim, but beep, beep.
1: (laughs) All right, we bring Brian Winhorse of ESPN. Uh, He is a part of the Friends of the show, and we aim one day to be a part of the Hoop Collective. Brian, thank you very much for (laughs) joining us here on Tim and Friends.
4: Absolutely. Anytime, guys. You're honorary members. I just made it happen.
1: Awesome. Awesome. Uh, I was aiming there. I got it immediately. I will take (laughs) it and run. Hey, were you you surprised that the Raptors held on to Kyle Lowry at the deadline?
4: Yes. Um, I understood why their position got narrowed and that they couldn't – that they weren't going to get the deal that they wanted. Um, But I think there's a – there's a real chance that they would lose him for nothing this summer, um, primarily because if he wants to go to Miami, for example, the Heat are not really incentivized to make a sign and trade deal. Maybe there'd be something else, but you know, if you're if you're not deciding, if you're still deciding whether to trade him in the last hour of the trade deadline, I don't think you're seriously considering keeping him long term. And I just think if that's the case. They needed to do something. And uh, one thing I'd like to know, I don't know the answer. I really I hope to learn someday. I don't know if it'll come out. I'd like to know what Philadelphia's offer was because I have a general yeah. idea of where Miami and L.A. were, but I don't know where Philly was. And if, if Philly was willing to include a first-round pick in one of their young players, um, it'd be hard to see why they would not pull the trigger on that. But, you know, listen, Masai has a great track record, and, and we'll see how it works out for him.
7: Brian, then maybe you touched on it, but what is the, the future then for Kyle Lowry going forward? This is arguably, and maybe not so arguably, the greatest Raptor of all time. How does this play out, his career?
4: Yeah, so he wants one more significant contract. I mean, the contract he's on right now, um, which, you know, has been pretty rewarding, but he didn't get paid a lot before that. He sort of was in the cycle before the cap spike, and so there was a handful of guys. John Wall was one of them. There was a handful of point guards. I mean, look, they made good money. Don't get me wrong. I'm not going to lay awake tonight worried about Kyle's bank account. But he didn't. He wasn't able to get the multi-hundred million dollar contracts like a lot of his peers were. So I think he wants one more good contract, which is which is a lot to ask for a, for a point guard in his mid 30s. But the demand is there. I mean, we saw three title contenders um, trying to get him. Uh, at the deadline, so the demand is there, and you know I think uh, you know there is a number that exists for the Raptors that they would that they could keep him. I don't think he's ruled that out at all. The question is, is that what Toronto should be doing with where they are as an organization, especially after they just traded for Gary Trent, who, I mean, they wouldn't have traded for him unless they intended to keep him, and that's going to be an expensive contract. which you've already outlayed to Fred Van VanVleet, Doc, Siakam, and Ananobi. Uh, I'm not sure that that makes sense for the organization right now, which is, by the way, another reason why I thought they would move him. But I do believe if he, you know, if he if he wants 20 to 25 million next summer, if he's healthy, I believe he'll get multiple offers at that price, and and that's just a reality that the Raptors have to know.
1: Yeah, we were talking about what the number would be for next year, and it was between that 20 and 25 on this show, and wondering how you do the the mathematics on all that. I know you mentioned that you wanted to know what what Philly's deal was. We were led to believe that the Raptors were just waiting out uh, Tyler Hero to be included from Miami. Is, is that the same thing that you were hearing? What was offered from Miami? And was L.A. really offering enough to get that done?
4: Yeah, so the difficulty with L.A. is, is I don't know if you guys, I know this is a little bit in the weeds, I apologize, but because we'll the, the Lakers are hard-capped, they had to trade $30 million in salary. Right. Uh, they didn't, you know, other teams could trade $23, $24 million in salary. And so for the Lakers to accomplish that, they were going to have to include three or four of their rotation players and maybe not give a good young player like Taylor Horton Tucker. Right. So that was the complication for the Lakers. For Miami, you know, it was really kind of a simple, the way they looked at it, it was really kind of a simple trade. They have Duncan Robinson, who's a free agent, and then they would have Kyle Lowry. They're going to probably have to pay one or the other around $20 million, uh, next year and the next couple of years after that for Robinson. What they were basically offering, from what I understand, is and I know that they deny that they made Robinson available, but Robinson, there was no way that he, the, the uh, Raptors were even going to have a conversation if Robinson wasn't available. So the problem was, was they would have been importing another guy they'd have to sign. Whereas Hero, regardless of where you think Robinson versus Hero in relation to their uh, their talent level, Hero has multiple years left on his contract. He doesn't need an extension right away. Another guy that would have been interesting, I think, for the Raptors was Precious Achua, their rookie uh, center, their rookie big man, again, under contract for several years. Especially after, again, especially after the Trent trade. Once they do the Trent trade, they've just traded for a guy that needs to be paid. Now the interest level in, in trading for Robinson, a guy who needs to be paid, It's just not quite there. Plus, Hero you know, generally is believed to have a higher ceiling. So, yeah, they were waiting for Hero to be put in. He never got put in. And I I think the Heat felt comfortable with the way it played out. Did they want um, Kyle? Yes, they did. But they didn't want to give up Hero. And I think that they could read the lay of the land. They knew that Philly wasn't going to the wall, especially after they did the George Hill trade. And they knew that the Lakers were kind of hamstrung in what they could include. And so I think they made a deal thinking that, look, this is as far as we're going to go. And that's really what happened. The, the walls closed in on the Raptors a little bit with what they could probably you know, squeeze uh, for. And they ended up having to hold the bag. And ultimately it may work out, but I just can't believe that they would have wanted it to play out the way that it did.
7: You talked you mentioned the Lakers just a moment ago, and I don't know uh, what's, what, what came from you or what came from elsewhere, but just the idea of the uh, Steph Curry saga and potentially LeBron. I don't know if it's tampering, if it's just, hey, we're at the All-Star Game, let's chat. Well, how, how does that situation unfold, and is it much ado about nothing, or is, or is there something there?
4: Well, first off, the All-Star Game has now become the premium place where players recruit each other. It used to be a Team USA there hasn't been an A-level Team USA since 2016. Um, there hasn't been an Olympics since then, and the the, the, uh, the team that went to the World Cup, there was a couple of really good players on it, but generally it was sort of the B squad right. uh, that went a couple of years ago to China. So you haven't had Team USA. So, like, Ky- Kyrie and Kevin Durant made their deal at, at the All-Star break. Um, LeBron, a couple of years ago, <laughs> Every player he picked for his team was a free agent to be. He was, you know, very clearly what he was doing there. And, you know, the thing about it is that this summer, there's a couple of pretty big extension decisions in the NBA. I don't know if we're going to see star level free agency, but there's a couple of extensions that are going to be important. One of them is Zach Levine in Chicago, another one is Steph Curry. He is extension eligible. He has one year left on his contract. Look, guys, he can sign up to age 38. He can add four years to his contract in the neighborhood of $200 million, and he's probably going to do that. Or maybe he takes a little bit less than that to give the Warriors a little bit of wiggle room, but he's probably going to say, I'm a warrior for life and sign it. However, he is not signed yet, and LeBron is as aware of that as anybody. And look, this is not some sort of top-secret information. Guys, he tweeted about it. He tweeted about how wonderful it was to have Steph Curry <laughs> as a teammate over All-Star weekend. He obviously made him his second pick right behind Giannis. Um, he praised him up one side and down. Now, this is a guy who, while he respected, was a pretty bitter rival with for, for five years, yeah. uh, four or five years with Cleveland uh, when they were playing the Warriors in those finals. And so um, he absolutely was trying to grease those kids, uh, in the event that Steph would look around. I don't think he will, but... This is how LeBron has operated for a long time and how the All-Star game has been operating for a long time. And frankly, he should. This is how Kevin Durant and Kyrie are working it over there. They recruited James Harden last summer. Uh, LeBron's got to stay on the game. And of course, he's always playing the game.
1: Brian Windhorst joining myself and Ryan Leslie here on Tim and Friends. Um, There was a report about Bradley Beal, and it seems like uh, every so often there is a report about Bradley Beal, but it got some fans excited up here about the potential of Masai Jiri getting in on Bradley Beal. Is there any fire around the smoke that seemingly is always Bradley Beal? Zero. There
4: is zero uh, smoke around it. Um, You know, there is a belief that Bradley Beal at some point is going to, going to examine his options, and, you know, with one year left on his contract, that pressure is going to start this summer. He does. He also has the opportunity to extend. He could extend his contract there in Washington and say, this is where I want to be, and maybe he will. Um, but a lot of the you, know, the, you know, there's definitely teams out there that are like, look, we're we're preparing for a star player to be available. We're going to hoard some draft picks, et cetera. And Bradley Bill is, uh, is a name that's on their lips. It doesn't mean that it'll be him, but, um, I, you know, Really, I know that there has been some teams that have been really excited about training for him, but to my knowledge, he has never been available, and he has not asked to be available. And I will say this. If he does uh, decide that he wants to be traded, um, it will end up being like a free agency because you're not going to trade for him unless you know he's going to want to stay, like what happened with Anthony Davis. So you wouldn't just have to have – the trade assets to trade for him you'd have to convince him that to want to be with you long term that's a hard thing to get into alignment but obviously it does happen in the nba
7: brian and on the national hockey league side we just saw a player uh in calgary become the first nhler to get involved with the non-fungible tokens the nft and the (laughs) cryptocurrency and and i know uh, basketball seems to be leading the way is this is that fair is basketball sort of is this a trend that's going to still continue to explode on that, for lack of a better term, digital side? And uh, is, it, is the NBA going to continue to lead the way? And if so, is there a trend that uh, maybe you're going to see maybe take us down a different road?
4: Well, the, the NBA was the first league to do a, a deal for NFTs um, where they're going to say we're going to put our names on it and our players and everything on it like that. But I expect the other leagues to follow very quickly. Um, You know, it is definitely a phenomenon. I will say that the prices, and I'm not on the marketplace every day, but in talking to people, the prices have moderated a little bit. But I thought something was interesting today. The company that that creates NBA Top Shot, they they announced today that they had raised, um, I think, over $300 million. Uh, in some funding rounds in the last couple of months, and they're going to use that money to make deals with leagues. The way it works is they pay the league for the rights uh, to the videos and then they sell it. That's how the league gets money, and then they get a, a cut of the sales. But the interesting thing is to me that Michael Jordan was an investor, and it, having Michael Jordan as an investor is important, and not because they needed a check from number 23. It's because for them to get the access to the, to the image and likeness right. of guys who are retired, they have to make individual deals because you know the current guys. You know you make a deal with with the NBA Players Union. You can know, have Zion Williamson or LeBron James. Michael Jordan isn't in the Players Union anymore. In fact, he's on the other side. He's an owner, so you got to make a deal with him to get the shot to get uh, all of you know all of his great plays. And so that's the next frontier. And look, I'm not a hockey fan. I couldn't tell you some of the great uh, shots of all time or the great saves or what have you, but. That's what is the next frontier is what if, you know, only a hundred of these NFTs of Jordan's shot against the Jazz or shot against the Cavs came out. That's where you could see things start to go for seven figures. and And so that's the next frontier. And also the idea that you could play games with these where you could collect your top shots. And, yes, you know, they exist in digital form, but you could actually – you, you, yours could play against mine in some sort of game with stakes on the line. That's also coming to, to make this more interesting. Yeah,
1: that's the, that's another one. Uh, if I'm Brian Russell, I buy up all of the packs early for Jordan, <laughs> trying to get that one off the market. You to <laughs> Yeah, it might not be able <laughs> never to. never happened uh, never
7: happened
4: Brian,
1: always appreciate when you drop by and become a part of our collective. Appreciate it.
4: Have a good day, guys.
1: There is Brian Windhorse, uh host of a – Pretty solid podcast, Win Horse and the Hoop Collective. All right, uh, we're going to take a break. When we come back, Jesse Rubinoff is basically going to take over. We've got a match game <laughs> trending in Canada, and we'll do last call, and we'll do all of it next with Ryan Leslie. Here on Tim and Friends across the Sportsnet family of channels. Tim and the friends are Jesse Rubinoff and Ryan Leslie. And you know that music means one thing, Mr. Leslie. We're closing out the match game with Mr. Rubinoff. The only thing worse than being a Sabres fan right now is blank. That was our match game.
5: Very exciting stuff. The only thing worse than being a Sabres fan is blank. Joe says the Filipino diving team. Yeah. <laughs>
1: An old classic. It's a, he tagged Sixero on it again on his birthday. Sixero, <laughs> just getting massive shout outs by Jesse here. I don't know what's going on. I think there's some bits sort of He appreciated
5: it, though. He sent out this tweet. Thanks for the birthday shout out on All air, right. guys.
1: All right. I got it. <laughs> I
5: Let's
1: understand. move on with the match game. Yeah. Uh, Kim the says,
5: the only thing worse than being a Sabres fan is the Toronto Maple Leafs losing to a Zamboni driver. Yeah,
1: that's and,
5: solid. Yeah. Those was on the radio. David Ayers putting his stick up in the air. Ellen says, the only thing worse than being a Sabres fan is finding a winning lottery ticket one day too late. So I didn't know that that was a thing. But apparently, you have a year to redeem a winning lottery ticket. So if you find a lottery ticket that's winning after the year.
1: Well, that would be the worst thing ever. thing ever. You're out of luck. That's That's among the worst things ever. Well, depending
5: on how much you win, it could be a five dollar ticket but uh, that's not what i'm talking yeah,
1: about yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because you're right. i was talking about a couple million but whatever. moving on i guess there are worse things too now that i think about it i should probably take that back i will there are worse things yeah, yeah. like
5: for example tyler said being an oilers fan in the 2010s before mcdavid but now they're blessed with mcdavid so
1: nah take it easy you were the city of champions for a while <laughs> Michael says,
5: being Scott Norwood. The little Buffalo connection, wide right. Yeah, What do you think about that one, Mr. Leslie?
7: That one has to sting for everybody in Buffalo and outside because, uh, you know, it's been tough sledding for the Sabres, but I'm not sure uh, there's one single name that maybe says Buffalo quite like Scott Norwood. Is Uh, there?
1: you, You are right. I mean... And especially in that connotation, right? Like you, as soon as you say Scott Norwood, you get the like,
7: oh,
1: oh. I mean, it it, hurt.
7: it still hurts.
1: Yeah. Celino and Barnes is close, but I think Scott Norwood is is number one. Uh, Jesse, why don't we uh, wrap up the match game, kill the music, and move on to, I mean, you're just dominating this segment. Well, thank
5: you to everyone for all the responses. There are yeah. a lot of good ones in match game. We had it trending earlier. So, big day for match game and also a big day for last call. Uh, the Sharks' Eric Carlson. We hope. We hope. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we'll let the viewers decide again. Uh, he had a big night against the Wild Monday. Carlson had his first two-goal game in the regular season in more than three years and ended a marathon shootout with a slap shot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a lot of people were talking about Carlson's clapper after the game. Tim, what did you make of it?
1: Uh, there's, there's levels to this. First off, Leslie, uh, correct me if I'm wrong here. But if you take a clapper from the hash marks in any one of your ball hockey games growing up, you're immediately kicked out of the game, correct?
7: It's probably why I did it. Just
1: get into their <laughs> real early. But, but the, uh, yeah, no,
7: I, you know what? Hey, I don't think goalies, the, the goalie uh, fraternity is too pleased with it, but yeah. I'd say, who cares?
1: Bring but, it. You know why he did it? Like, for, there's, the layers on this one are amazing. First off, Ryan Hartman went before him in the shootout. And Ryan Hartman moved in and did the exact same thing. So this was before Carlson's clapper in the shootout. Hartman moved in, slapper from the top (laughs) hash marks, missed the net. So the immediate shot after was Carlson, and I think it was a bit of a bleep you. In fact, if you look at his face after he took the slap shot, there was like a, yeah, I'm going to do that. And you know what? After the game, he still had the attitude Because after the game, he was asked about whether or not this was his best game ever. Here's how he responded. This is like pure G from Eric Carlson. Eric, is that the best offensive game you've ever had? Uh, Two goals and essentially a hat trick when the game winner and the uh, shootout?
2: Not even close.
5: (laughs) (laughs) Watch that on repeat. Amazing.
7: The app the apple sells it that's just baller yeah i I think if you replay the goal he had the apple in his hand at that point too or maybe in his mouth but that that (laughs) was pure confidence that was as good as it gets I, i too have watched that at 10 15 20 times
1: i had someone uh i had someone say to me earlier today uh offside to eat an apple in public because of the noise the apple makes agree or disagree
7: disagree i think we need more fruit uh in these zoom calls uh <laughs> underrated it really drives the point home and uh makes uh, any reporter feel about this big uh, when they ask uh, you know a, a softball like that and it just gets hit right out of the park
1: <laughs> looks like a nice honey crisp. right right
7: in the teeth that poor reporter and i've been there i you know i remember asking joe thornton speaking to san jose years ago I was in a bad camera position, and I had to ask him a question in the playoffs. Game seven, they hadn't done much offensively. And I said, uh, I got to ask the first question to get Joe to look towards our camera. And I said, Joe, how confident are you that you can find some offense here in game seven? He looked looked at everybody. Everybody in hockey was there. He goes, who the F is this guy? And walked away.
5: (laughs) I've been there. I've been there. It hurts. No apple, though. No No apple. apple. No No apple. apple. Next time. How do you like them apples? Next time. Uh, Moving on with Last Call. Buccaneers head coach Bruce Arians made good on his promise to get a tattoo if the Bucs won the Super Bowl. The 68-year-old Arians posted a photo of his new ink on Twitter today. Ryan, should there be a cutoff age for getting a tattoo?
7: I used to think yes when uh, when I was younger. No, I say go all in. I'm one of the freaks that still doesn't have one, if you can imagine. But I say no. If you feel uh, artsy, if you feel there's something important, and you're older and you don't care anymore, all in.
1: It just suits Arians. Yeah. He's that guy. And he said he would do it and he's following but through for his team. Who cares? He's that guy. Yeah. Like, have you ever heard him speak? He's that guy. <laughs> it'll if there was pop- a guy oh, to yeah. get it. yeah. I,
5: I guess it looked like it was on his arm. I'm sure he'll be uh, rocking it when the camera's on him. He's gonna make sure everybody knows that he's got I, that tattoo. I knew I that
1: and I didn't want to get a tattoo my entire life. Cause I knew at one point, the one that I wanted to get on my pectoral would be around my belly button later. <laughs> Sticking and I with got football. the breast to prove it right now. <laughs> Sticking with football. I thought you had
7: uh, I thought you had CIS on your chest or
1: something <laughs> like that. Oh you Oh you Oh you A. Yes. CIAU. I started that long ago. Yes. Yeah. Yeah.
5: Alabama offensive lineman Landon Dickerson tore his ACL in the SEC Championship game in December. But just over 3 months later he was doing cartwheels today in the background of an interview with quarterback Mac Jones at bama's pro day tim how many cartwheels can you do when fully healthy <laughs> uh
1: i'm gonna be honest with you i'm not a cartwheel guy i'm more of a roundoff guy i think cartwheels are for big men who can't do roundoffs uh so i'm gonna say right now my cartwheels are limited and i would be more of a roundoff guy and do the full you know what i'm talking about here leslie like you go ass over tea yeah. kettle straight yeah. on
7: uh at this age, nobody needs to see us do either. I I think it's <laughs> That's what they're
1: probably do, embarrassing. Yeah. 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 That is exactly what they're trying to do. They're trying to get one of us to do a cartwheel right now. And let me just tell you right now. Mm, six, not happening. arrow no longer works here. <laughs> we tried. We tried our best. <laughs> yeah. we tried That's our best. the guy who would have done it. Yeah.
5: Well, we got one more uh, for you guys. After tonight, the Final Four will be set in both the men's and women's NCAA tournaments. On the men's side, the Los Angeles teams, UCLA... And USC will both be looking to knock off number one seeds Michigan and Gonzaga this questions for both of you who's got the best shot to pull off an upset
1: uh, since we're almost done here I'll just say UCLA because my boy Mick Cronin another one of the brethren Leslie the bald brethren will say they got keep the best tight. shot to do it keep it tight I,
7: I think I'm kind of with you there's some momentum uh, with UCLA going there and I love Michigan and Gonzaga but I think UCLA is going to have some noise to say hey man great job
1: for Ryan Leslie, Jesse Rubinoff, I'm Tim McCall Talk to you tomorrow.